Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with trendsetters who are leading innovation in public safety and expert advice on growing your own post-law enforcement business. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Welcome back to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast for episode 38. Today, we have a return guest on the show. In fact, Robert Whitaker was my guest for the very first episode, making him the PSI Podcast OG. A lot has changed in the world of digital currency over the last nine months since Robert was on the show. He revisits us today to talk about where the industry is heading and what you need to be aware of as an investigator. You'll also get to learn more about Robert's own copernurial journey as he shares some of his most valuable lessons transitioning from law enforcement into running a successful business. If you haven't already listened to my first interview with Robert, I highly suggest you go back and take a listen. You can find it on your favorite podcast app or by heading directly to psi.chat forward slash 001. All right, here we go with my second interview with Robert Whitaker from the Blockchain Intelligence Group. Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today, we have on the show an OG from the Public Safety Innovators Podcast, episode one. Uh, we have Robert Whitaker back on the show today. So, uh, Robert, we're going to talk today about some uh, updates and changes in, in crypto investigations since the last time you were on. Um, it's great to have you back. Well, thanks for having me. It's, um, it's nice to be back. I've, I've watched the podcast grow over the days, and uh, congratulations on the success so far. Yeah, thank you. It's um, uh, I appreciate you putting the the confidence in me to come on and be episode one uh, when the show wasn't known by anybody because it hadn't even been released yet. And so your episode on uh, handling crypto investigations and and all of the resources that your uh, company Blockchain Intelligence Group offers is still one of the most highly listened to episodes of the show. So uh, it was part of the reason I wanted to have you back on. Um, obviously, if if you've been paying attention, there's been a lot going on in the crypto world since episode one came out back in the fall of last year. And so naturally, a lot of things have changed in the investigation side of crypto as well. So um, let's start there. What's what's changed and, and what do we need to look out for? Well, I'll tell you what's changed. and It's been the massive driver behind cryptocurrency. When you look at the entire market cap itself and how many people are really becoming aware of crypto and wanting to invest. And of course, with that investment and the use of crypto, uh, we're seeing a lot more investigations rolling in through our, our, our pipeline that we have on our website. And, you know, our forensic guys are just overworked. <laughs> they're, they're, they're plugging along, but they're overworked because all this stuff coming in and the, the, the issue with that is when we see more cases, that means law enforcement is seeing more cases being reported to them. So we have, you know, your patrol officer out there take, going to a call and the lady says, you know, someone stole 15 Bitcoins from me. And the patrol officer who likely knows of Bitcoin but doesn't quite understand the way it works and how, you know, what's going on here 
um, takes a report, ends up on a detective's desk somewhere. A detective says, I have no idea. Zero, zilch, not. I have no idea. Don't know how this works. Don't really care how it works. Um, I got other cases to close. And, you know, it may get round filed. It may get, just get stuck in a drawer for a while. Um, or the final option there is they call us and say, can you help us with this case? And uh, that's what we've been doing. We've been jumping on and helping with cases for law, for law enforcement at the local level. I think the federal guys, you know, HSI, DEA, FBI, they, they have special groups that will handle it. So, you know, if it's worth their while, essentially, they'll they'll take on the case. But, you know, we're, we're really trying to help the small guy here, you know, the guy from the small department somewhere and wherever. And, um, you know, just trying to help him out. So that's what we've seen a, a massive increase. But we've also seen a couple of things in the crypto space that should, well, I'll, I'll tell you, when we talk about the crypto space, we talk about all kinds of new products coming along. So we talk about Bitcoin as being cryptocurrency 1.0. Um, Ethereum, cryptocurrency 2.0. And what we're seeing now is we're seeing these hybrid um, decentralized applications, which is essentially what Ethereum is, um, coming out. So that's 3.0. Um, decentralized applications simply means that you can run a program with no human in the middle, uh, which means that they're running these financial programs, decentralized exchanging back and forth, and then decentralized lending as well. So we call DeFi. So DEX. Um, DEX being decentralized exchange and DeFi being decentralized finance. And you can essentially go to these sites and if you stake enough coins with them and they like you, they take a little poll, they'll loan you money. Uh, one of the things we're looking at this morning was a company called TruFi. I, I know the BSA officer over there. She's awesome. And they're working hard to stay on the good good side of, of, of regulation. But they do offer these lending products. And, uh, you know, like Plonex borrowed $2 million at like 12% and paid it back in 30 days or whatever it was. I'm just, just, you know, making that up, but that's a lot of money to borrow over a period of time with, with essentially not giving anyone your real name. <laughs> they may know what business you're in, um, not doing any due diligence on you or anything. And you're getting $2 million uh, sent to you. So, you know, there, there's a, there's an issue there. How are, how are these companies able to stand up the risk that's involved in that and not knowing exactly who they're actually lending this money to and therefore not having a means of tracking it back down should the uh, lendee default on that that loan yeah so that's that's the problem right there and that's what that's the problem everyone's trying to solve is how how do we solve that issue just so there's more of a credit risking score a KYC process which is know your customer for for the audience out there uh, and what is the AML regime built around uh, that kind of stuff i mean you could you could essentially stake a bunch of coins borrow a bunch which is clean money you could stake it with dirty money essentially and then you take that and wash out everything else so uh, money laundering can can certainly handle there or be had there and that's where we're, we're in there. We're in there fighting the fight, trying to build analytics to, to go around this space so we can help out law enforcement because that's the next evolution of white collar crime right there. That's white collar fraud. Oh, yeah. On. I mean, I'm not yeah. calling that fraudulent. I'm just saying that it's has, but there's the a huge opportunity for it. There, yeah. There's a huge opportunity. And, you know, if you have a detective today just coming into white collar crime, um, the way they do investigations versus 10 years ago is going to be totally different. Um, in a couple of years. So once again, if you're in a department anywhere in the world and you uh, have not heard of crypto, it's not because it's not happening. It's just you haven't, hasn't been routed to the right places yet because the, the crime's happening and uh, you need to rethink how financial investigations are going to occur in the yeah. future. Yeah, we actually made uh, significant mention of that 
when we talked on episode one. And in fact, one of the key takeaways that I put in the episode notes for episode one was that digital currency crimes are already happening in your area. Uh, and it really doesn't matter where you are in the country, whether you're a large city or a small uh, rural area, I guarantee you crypto crimes or digital currency crimes are already happening in your area. It's just a matter of receiving the right training and awareness to be able to recognize them, look for them and actually uh, respond to and address them. So what right. has there been with, with these new companies that are coming out? So I kind of want to go back to that conversation we were just having, because as you know, I told you last time, I'm pretty ignorant about cryptocurrency and digital currency. And, and that really hasn't changed a whole lot since you and I talked, because I don't know, I just have a hard time getting into it. But as far as this this uh, generation three of of uh, digital currency goes, how, how is that different than Bitcoin as the originator? Is it just because of the lending part of it, or what is it that actually makes it different? Right. So Bitcoin was imagined uh, by Satoshi Nakamoto, the the author of the white paper. It could be a person, it could be many people. We're not really sure, but as a payment system, so a peer to peer payment system, which means for me to you, basically. So you you can do transactions with me. I can do transactions with you, and we don't need to know each other. It's trustless because it's confirmed on the blockchain through uh, what they call encryption, uh, and and that makes it trustless. So you and I can not know each other and do pass funds back and forth. So that's really internet money 1.0. Now, what has changed is we saw Ethereum launched uh, shortly thereafter. And Ethereum it was reinvented to or was invented to be, uh, think about it like the world's computer. Um, so every node is jumping in and is applying power to the network. The network, you can then launch what we call smart contracts on it. And those smart contracts execute code, essentially. That's it. They're, it's it's nothing too fancy. They execute codes, kind of if-then statements that allow things to happen naturally. And they use also what we call oracles or uh, sources of truth. So if you and I, if I launched a code and I said, look, Adam, I'll tell you what. If the Braves win a game this year, I'm going to pay you 50 bucks. And I have Ethereum on, in my wallet and you have a wallet as well with 50 bucks. And when the Oracle delivers the news to the contract says, Hey, the Braves won. It debits my account and credits your account without you and I being involved essentially. Now, where does that come in to what we see today? What we see today is some very complicated contracts that are doing decentralized exchanging, which means that I can jump in with a wallet full of, of whatever tokens I want, as long as they're Ethereum based or ERC 20 type tokens. And you say you have some too. Say you have some TrueFi and I have some, I don't know, Uniswap or whatever it is. And we say, you know what? We want to swap. And so what happens is we swap through this contract. There's no human involved there. We just swap currencies, right? We just, you, I get yours, you give mine because you sold it to me and I sold mine to you. And it's back and forth. So that would normally take a lot of things in the real world. Well, it would take a money, a money service business license, potentially. Um, you'd probably have to be regulated with KYC, with AML procedures, with all the BSA type stuff in there that you would need. Well, because of Ethereum and these decentralized applications, we're, we're seeing ways around that. So technology is advancing, right? I think, I think I probably said in our last conversation that, you know, as fast as the regulators move, technology can move faster. And we're seeing yeah. that. In fact, we saw Cointelegraph or one of these online cryptocurrency news agencies talk about 
an article where regulators yesterday in Congress were talking about how do we regulate this? What do we do? What do we do? And they make a statement in there that says, well, you know, fintech is just moving too fast. Um, so, you know, I, I think we just need an agency around the crypto space. So we have the SEC around securities, CFTC yeah. around consumer fraud. You know, we need an agency that just deals with cryptocurrency because it just does move too fast. You can't expect one guy, one gal, one person to be up there and know everything about crypto. It's just, it's, it's impossible. I, I try, I read and read and read and watch and watch and watch. And, you know, I do a lot of training, you know, but just, you can't be on top of everything all the time. Yeah. It, it's incredible to me. Like I almost feel so overwhelmed by it that I just, I don't even bother to try to research it because it, it just, there's just so much information. Uh, and it seems like such a foreign concept for me. Maybe that makes me an old fart. I don't know, but it, uh, it's certainly kind of difficult to wrap your head around as far as the regulation goes from a federal standpoint, what sort of measures do you think that they could take in order to regulate things in a way that would in fact be beneficial um, for law enforcement. But yet, I mean, I guess part of the attraction to crypto is that it's not overly regulated. So is there a happy medium there? What are the priorities? Well, I've often said that if, if, if you're a regulating body, um, take an old regulation and stuff in crypto into it. It's probably not a great idea. No. Uh, crypto just works different. I mean, there, it's, it's another form of value, yes. And that's how we look at it when we do a financial investigation, just another form of value. But that's a simplistic way of looking at things. When you look at how things actually work deep inside of crypto, there's certain little things that, uh, you know, regulation in the fiat world just doesn't cover. So, you know, what I thought about, uh, again, is going back to, first of all, we need to launch its own regulatory body, someone, someone, something, an agency that deals with just crypto to stay on top of it and has stakeholders. You know, the stakeholders be over OCC, uh, stakeholders over SEC, stakeholders at CFTC, um, stakeholders in Congress itself, you know, coming to the meeting, you know, sitting down, really talking about what is crypto, why it works this way and, and moving forward that way now. FinCEN, along with FATF, or FATF along with FinCEN, or whatever order you want to put those two in, FinCEN has recently talked about the travel rule. And the travel rule, I think, is probably a good place to start. Now, you can certainly abuse the travel rule by saying that we're going to do all crypto over $250. I think that's a little extreme. But the travel rule coming in just like you would use it for fiat seems like a reasonable thing to do. Now that we have ways that technology can solve the travel rule, what, what, we're, what we're essentially stating is, or FATF essentially stated through FinCEN, is if you're going to send $3,000 worth of crypto outside the U.S. borders, then you should be, you should be as two organizations, swapping the what we call the ownership of the accounts, right? So the ownership of the account gets swapped back and forth. Now, that is probably a good idea. That'll clear up a lot of the anonymity that comes along with crypto transactions. But... There is uh, there is still a way around it when you have uh, personally held wallets where that wallet is held by me on my phone and I'm sending it to Adam. So there's no regulation between you and me. And there's there's a way there's a way we can solve that by asking wallet holders to make you sign up first before using your wallet. Right. So if you're on an app, you have to log in essentially with your true information. Is that going to be a problem with, uh, you know, PII, you know, transferred to a third party somewhere? Uh, is there other legal issues in there? I'm sure there is somewhere. Uh, and that has to be hashed out. So, you know, a team full of lawyers and what's going to happen? Nothing. 
But anyway, we'll we'll try to get it hashed out. So do you think it's a realistic possibility to uh, assume that there comes a point in our lifetime where digital currency completely overtakes traditional currency? Or is there always a place for traditional currency? Well, I, th- I think there's probably always a place for digital currency based on the fact that some people just don't have access to, you know, a phone line or an online device or something. And, but the world's changing. That's becoming more and more accessible depending on where you are. Um, certainly you look at Africa and, and Africa has done a great job on getting cell phones out to all kinds of regions. You look at MPs and stuff like that, payment systems like that or, or value systems. So there's probably always going to be a spot for fiat. Like I need to pull out a dollar somewhere and pay with a dollar. Here's the, here's the big deal though. Um, countries are looking at centrally or centralized digital, centralized digital currency or back digital currencies, right? So government back digital currencies. Now, the Chinese have already come in. They've launched theirs already. Um, it's in play in some places. The U.S. has not launched one. There's other regions that are looking at different stable coins to do this with. Now, I, I think you have to have that type of currency to stay uh, competitive if you're a nation because it's, it's a new way to do payments. And it's a new way to take your currency anywhere in the world and use it, certainly if it's a stable coin that's widely recognized. I have a little bit of concern when I look at uh, government-backed digital currencies in the sense that they may not be really digital currencies because they're centrally backed by a nation. And inside the blockchains, those blockchains could hold a lot of potential data about you and what you're doing. So if if the government, if you you have a, a, say, a cryptocurrency called the U.S. dollar, for instance, in your wallet, and I send it again to Adam, and I'm paying Adam, you know, five bucks for a Coke or whatever. But then in the blockchain somewhere, it tells back to the central government that I spent $5 on a Coke and I give it to Adam. Well, what's the implication for that as far as them tracking my personal habits on a daily basis? Yeah. And Just then look not at only Facebook. that, yeah, tracking where I'm at, right? So I drive to Utah or I drive out to California and I send a, send cryptocurrency essentially back to a friend of mine and the IP information is attached to it and says, oh, he's in California. So now they're tracking where I'm at, who I'm sending money to, who I'm getting money from, all inside of one blockchain. And, and then what who's buying. And what I'm buying. And then who is allowed to buy that data from the government? Marketers? Facebook? Yeah, Apple, exactly. You, know, you name it. So I have a lot of concerns, privacy issues, concerns around centrally backed digital currencies, but we'll see how it yeah. pans out. I mean, we are going to get a chance to see how this pans out uh, because it's coming. Yeah, I I have a lot of concerns about it too and uh, not real comfortable with it, if I'm honest. I don't really like the idea. Uh, I, <laughs> if we could go back to a time where digital currency didn't exist, I, I would gladly go there personally. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of like reaching in my wallet, pulling out a five dollar bill. Right? It's yeah. it's totally anonymous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only me and the clerk. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, one of the things that we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time talking about the last time you were on the show, because uh, we spent most of the time. I mean, it was a good. I think we went over an hour uh, that last. Time. Yeah, an hour and twelve minutes here. As I'm looking at it. And we spent the the bulk of that time, the large bulk of it, just talking about what we are right now and investigations and uh, how crypto works and all of those things, um, which is obviously very fascinating. And I know a lot of people tune in for that. But also, 
we talked a little bit about your background and in how you went from being in law enforcement to starting your own business. And we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time on that. And so I'd like to spend a little bit more time on that on this episode, talking more about your copreneurial journey from law enforcement to uh, running your own business. And you're, you're obviously very successful. And I know that there are other copreneurs that listen to the show that could gain some insight and advice from you. And I, I wonder if we could chat a little bit more about that, share uh, what your experience was, how, how you decided to actually leave uh, law enforcement and what that transition experience was like for you. Right. So um, I just like to clarify that we, the big uh, is a public trade company. So I don't, I don't own it. Um, it's owned by the investors. And uh, I was actually invited into this business by the founders at the time. So, sure. So I didn't start the business, but I certainly was invited in to help make the business or expand the business to what it is today. And, and I, I appreciate that offer from the founders. So they put a lot of trust in me and I appreciate that. But going back to your original question is, um, you know, how, how do you make the transition and how did you get in over here? First of all, it takes a lot of courage and I'm not trying to call myself courageous because I'm not, but it takes, it takes a little bit of, of effort and thought to actually cut that cord with what you've known all your life, right? That's probably the biggest thing for law enforcement. And yeah. I told my wife when we started looking at this, I said, the difference between courage and stupidity is simply success. If you cut that line and you walk over somewhere else from what you've always known or done well at, and you succeed, all your friends are going to look at you and all the people that you left behind look at you and go, that took a lot of courage. But if you do that and you fail, they're all going to say that was pretty stupid. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go in the middle of that, but the, that's the difference between courage and, and stupidity is success. And, and yeah. I was successful. So, you know, uh, it's good for me, right? But I think what I had to learn is put on a, a business type hat. Law enforcement officers in general are very autonomous people. They know how to work alone and they know how to work with teams as well. But, you know, your basic standard officer does a lot of work by himself. I mean, he's on his own to, you know, investigate generally, takes a partner now and then, but everything comes down to him and his case and how he wants to run it. So that's a good skill to have is being able to work. The second skill is being able to work as a team and manage that team. And I think law enforcement officers are good at managing because they have to manage lots of things. Certainly their own investigation, certainly scenes, right? You go to a, a horrible car crash scene, that first officer that arrives is essentially running that scene, and he's learned how to run or manage teams that way, So, especially under crisis. So I think that's the second thing that law enforcement officers are going for them. And then I think critical thinking is something you have to do. How do I take what I'm doing and make a product that everyone needs to see and make it better? So, you know, having the courage to do it, number one, is tough. Most officers uh, at the end of the day say, I think I'm just going to stay where I'm at because it's safe. No one likes change, especially cops, right? Um, so you got to make it, you got to make a good jump over, get over that, and then make sure you got, you're managing your teams well, putting everything together, and, and a good product at the end. Do you struggle with making decisions in your business because you're too concerned you might make the wrong one? Here's a dose of reality for you. First, you're not alone. Most business owners, especially early on, struggle with indecision out of the fear that the smallest misstep in judgment might send their business into a death spiral. 
Second, when it comes to making decisions, the perfect solution seldom exists. Now let me give you some advice, but before I do, a disclaimer. If the fact that I've lost tens of thousands of dollars on less than stellar business decisions leads you to believe that I am not a good person to take advice from on this subject, then go ahead and skip past this now. Just like a muscle that is made stronger through a series of small tears every time you work out, refining your business acumen is a process that involves some discomfort. You have to make mistakes. The cycle of progress works like this. You try something, it either works or fails, either way you gain knowledge and experience, now rinse and repeat. Don't be afraid of being bold and trying things. Flexing your decision muscles will make you a better decision maker. Instead, be afraid of indecision. That will leave your business stagnant. Just be decisive. Right or wrong, make a decision. The road of entrepreneurship is paved with flat squirrels who couldn't make a decision. The Business Brief is sponsored by leotoceo.com. Everything you need to grow your post-law enforcement business. Now, we went public, so we're on the CSE and, uh, and the OTCQX in the United States and uh, the Frankfurt Exchange as well. So I had to learn a lot of things I, don't, I didn't know, essentially. I mean, a criminal justice degree does not prepare you for a financial markets degree. It just does not. So, but there's, but fortunately there is a lot of good places where you can get this education. First of all, you can get OGT, right? So find yourself somebody who knows about this stuff and pick their brains. There's, you can go to all kinds of online learning sites. I mean, courses taught by Yale and MIT and Harvard, all in capital markets and finance and stuff. And, you know, you can take them for a relatively little amounts of money and they do make you better. Now, I'm not saying that's a substitute for a a master's degree in business or anything, but it can certainly help you learn what you need to know to function inside of these uh, business markets uh, if you don't want to go back to school and get an MBA and something. And that, that's the, that's the dis- difference there is, um, you know, if you have a degree uh, in criminal justice uh, like I do, that doesn't prepare me to take a master's degree in business. I mean, it does, I didn't, I don't have a bachelor's in business, so how am I going to do that? So, yeah, you can definitely learn a lot, and I would highly recommend never, ever stop learning. Uh, just the other day, I, I took a class on R coding, right, on querying in R, which is a computer language. I took the MIT course on cryptocurrencies. Even though I'm considered an expert in cryptocurrency, what did I do? I went and took the MIT course as well. So always make yourself better and always, always continue the learning. You know, uh, th- those are things that I would I would stress to anyone who wants to leave law enforcement and make the jump. Now I do, we, we, you and I've been there, Adam. We, we know it's like when you leave, you kind of get this alone feeling like, like I don't have that no more. Right. So every time you see a car on the side of the road with, you know, a couple officers and people standing around, you're like, man, I miss those days. Right. Those days are gone. Mm -hmm. Just, just accept it. Those days are gone. Uh, You have to fill your time with something else and cops need to be busy. So go be busy. Be busy being better. Be busy being that CEO. Be, be better being the CEO of your own company. Go be better. Uh, don't get lazy and don't sit around the house. You will die in five years. I mean, we've all seen it, right? How many guys yeah. have we seen leave law enforcement and then three or four years later, you're like, hey, you remember Detective so-and-so? Well, he passed away last week. 
don't be that right. guy. Yeah. Right? Don't be that guy. So yeah, it's kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, no, those are all good thoughts. I, uh, I took some notes here while you were talking and I, I kind of paraphrased three main points that, that you made. And that was, um, first that, you know, you need to overcome fear. Um, second, you got to learn to fail better. And third, that you need to seek out knowledge. And so I think those are all yep. really good, um, excellent points. Uh, you know, as far as the, the overcoming fear part, uh, I, I think that's just such a huge part of it. Like you said, we get comfortable, right? We know that, uh, you know, I'm going to work these days. I'm going to get these hours. This is the paycheck I'm going to get in return. Here's what, you know, my, my 401k or my pension plan is going to do. And one, one thing that I feel like has been, has come really clear to me over the last few years since I left uh, my law enforcement career is that retirement is kind of this dangling carrot that they put in front of you that, that keeps you just trudging along every day doing the thing that they want you to do. Um, and and I'm, it could be a little bit of a false sense of security, right? Because when you look at inflation and all of those things, by the time you actually retire, you're really not left with a whole lot. And I, I talk to guys all the time that'll tell me, well, I've only got five more years left and I'm just trying to get my 20 or, you know, I've just got two more years left. And, and, and so I, I came up with the saying that, that I've been telling people lately. And that's that, what is the dangling carrot of retirement that justifies you wasting the best years of your life uh, so that you can have this idea of comfort in the last years of your life. Um, and I, I'm not saying that just applies to law enforcement. That applies to anything because, frankly, some of these guys I've talked to have phenomenal ideas, um, business ideas. And um, when I tell them you might actually be sacrificing what you could be making by sticking it out for another five years, <laughs> if you're n- if you're not happy, then what are you doing? You know, why, why are you staying here? And maybe it's not even a not happy thing, but if you have a phenomenal idea, get after it, just go for it. And, uh, you might actually earn more towards your retirement than you would by sticking around for five years. Yeah. You know, so where I live in El Paso, we, the the PD here has its own retirement fund. It's not part of the state fund. And what happens is I, I run into a lot of guys that have retired from El Paso PD and now they're working for the El Paso Independent School District as, as a cop. So I'm like, right. you know, what, what, what happened here? And they're like, oh, well, I retired and I wanted to go back to work. But then I find that they're, they're almost their, their entire retirement goes to pay a, a bill or goes to pay for just, you know, like basic living expenses. It's not much money either. And so they're, they leave law enforcement to go back to law enforcement and work. I'm like, well, why don't you just stay where you were? I mean, it's right. if that's what you want to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I I feel the pain. I've ran into some guys that are working totally outside law enforcement now that are retired. And they're like, well, I just I just I literally my pension goes to pay for my health care. Yeah, that's that's a great retirement. My pension pays for my health care. That's it. And, and I got to work. In order and to now pay I got the rest of my bills. Now I got to yeah. work to pay for everything else. And I'm like, wow, man, that. That, that really sucks. But I think more as we see more and more debt accumulate in this country and more and more municipal municipalities, you know, falling victim to overspending. And I'm not knocking anybody or anything. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, you can see the writing on the wall. It's the reality. You know, you see pensions dwindle a little bit. They don't keep up with inflation. Um, I and, and that being said, I would encourage every law enforcement officer, if they have an idea, to jump on it. And do it, like you said, while they're young, because, you know, I'm 52 years old now and I'm thinking to myself, 
wow, if, if, you know, if I do well and I, you know, can retire at 65, that gives me, was it give me like five, eight years, you know, in a general average lifespan to enjoy something. So, you know, I work, work like a dog my entire life and then I die two years before I really make it. And then I don't get to spend anything on myself and my family's still struggling. I haven't solved one problem for my family. So no, I would, I would highly recommend that if you have the inkling to, to, you know, run a business, to make a business, to make something better, fix a problem somewhere and you're in law enforcement, then, you know, at least give it a shot. Uh, yeah. Maybe part-time if that's what it takes. Um, so I, um, I agree. And it's, uh, it can be a little bit scary, right? I mean, there's, there's uncertainty behind it. Um, but I actually, I made this point last week because, um, I decided kind of on a whim last week, I was gonna, I didn't really want to work from my home office. And so I, uh, I just decided on a whim to go rent a cabin up in the mountains for a week. And that's where I was going to go work from. And I did. And as I'm sitting there one morning, drinking my coffee, looking out, you know, at the mountains, I thought, you know what? never would have gotten to do something like that before. Like, how cool is it that I get to do that? I work for myself. I make that decision. Right. And so there's uncertainty, but look, you fast forward. I mean, it, uh, in, in a year's time, I exceeded and almost doubled my, my income from what I was making in law enforcement. Um, and it was because I took that risk, but, um, you know, I made the point, uh, that morning I, I put a video on LinkedIn that I'm making this, this exact point that most people will choose unhappiness over uncertainty because unhappiness, they at least know what they get out of that. Um, but the uncertainty is scary. Uh, and so I guess I'll, I'll, I'll summarize that first point about overcoming fear by saying this, that, uh, I, I believe that action is the antidote to fear. And, and you just have to, you just have to take action steps, right? And, uh, yeah, it can look a little bit scary not knowing, Hey, how am I going to pay my bills when I try this thing out? But you know what? You'll land on your feet. Uh, you know, you got to take action. Uh, you know, I absolutely agree with that. You, you got to take action. You have to seize opportunity. And that's where the courage thing comes in too. You got to have the courage to look at it and go, you know what? I'm going to take action. Um, I'm going to make it or I'm not, but I'm going to give it a valiant effort to do it. Uh, I would recommend there's some kind of parachute in there somewhere. You know, if you have money in your retirement that you can lean on, if you absolutely have to, I'm not saying go take it out. Just, you know, if it's there and you absolutely have to, then you know, at least you have something to, to parachute into. And, you know, law enforcement officers are, are good at the end of the day of thinking things through. And, and I yeah. think with a little bit of opportunity, a little bit of nudging, uh, we could see some really good things come out of law enforcement. I, um, yeah, I just, I just love talking to law enforcement, period. I don't care where they're from or anything like that. And I, I can tell you there's really good people doing really good work that have a lot to offer the entire world. So I, yeah, once again, I would encourage anyone in the off audience, if, if, if you're, if you got an idea or, or you can solve a problem, then you have the makings of a business. Um, go get it. Go get it. And work for yourself. Yeah. It's the greatest thing in the world. I, you know, I have a boss that works for me, but I'm high enough in the chain of command to where if I want to go to Hawaii and work from Hawaii, um, I can, you know, I can, uh, which is nice, right? So if I need to take time off, I can take time off. Um, now that, that goes into my 60 or 80 hours that I work already <laughs> because, uh, you know, we're doing this to make money and, and we're, we're, we're solving problems for law enforcement. We're offering a great product. And on the flip side of that, we're doing pretty well with it. So, you know, yeah. can't complain. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll talk about your, uh, your second point here a little bit too, about failing uh, and how important that is. There's, there's kind of a cycle, I think in, in failure because failure is good for us, right? 
And I, I here, here's one of the kind of um, dichotomies that I believe cops are, are cut out to be exceptional entrepreneurs for this reason, but it's also kind of a double-edged sword. And that's that we don't accept failure. Like we don't have an option for failure. Right. And that's one of the things that makes us really good. But at the same time, we, we have it in our mind that I can't fail. I'm not allowed to fail. Well, in business, you kind of have to fail at, at, at things sometimes, right? You have to, you have to try things and then go, Oh, well, crap, that didn't work. And I lost a little bit of money. I guess I won't do that again, or I'll do it another way. And so there's this cycle of uh, kind of three points in a circle where the first thing is, is acting on an idea, right? Doing it. Right. And then either you're going to, that idea is going to either become a failure or a success. And then the third point in that circle is learning, learning and adjusting. And whether the the thing you tried, the idea turned into a failure or success, you're still going to learn and adjust it. And so it just kind of goes in this circle, have an idea, fail or succeed, learn and adjust. And you just kind of do that over and over again. But you have to learn to accept that failure and, and, and work through that. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I've, I've had other businesses before, you know, high-end test equipment selling and buying, which did okay for me. We made a little money, but it wasn't just wasn't profitable to make a living on its own. So that, that was a learning failure. So it didn't do what I wanted to do, but it was successful. So I learned and I failed and I was successful all at one time, but it taught me a few things about business acumen, which means putting on a business hat versus a law enforcement hat for a change. So, you know, failure is right. You, you have to do it. And my, my wife's dad, who was a great man, um, once said to me, you know, you're, you're not a man until you fail three times in three things. Mm. So, you know, and cause he had his own failures in life and we all do. And, and for the ladies on this, on this thing here, I'm, I'm not disparaging him. I'm just saying that he said it to me. So, um, uh, you know, so nothing, nothing male or female. There's just got to fail three times to make it. And I remember talking to my dad one time when I was just a young man, I was in my early, early thirties and, you know, having some personal issues and some failures that, that I had, I looked at my dad and I said, dad, I don't know if I can fail one more time. I just, this has taken a lot out of me for failure. And he said, son, you haven't really failed yet. He said, mm. you're, you still got a house, you got a family, you have a good job. You haven't failed. You're just going through some troubled times. So don't confuse failure with some trouble with some everyday problems that most people have. Failures, when you have a failure, you'll know you have a failure. And uh, get yourself up, brush yourself off, and and go again. Failures are learning experiences. That's all there is to it. Yeah, you've, you've really just got to respond to it with perseverance rather than rejection, right? Um, I, I think there's those are the two sides of the coin. People either respond to failure with rejection and they shut down and go, well, I'm not going to do that again. That's the last time I try that thing. Or... <laughs> Or we respond to it with perseverance and we say, well, okay, that didn't work quite the way I planned it out to be, but uh, I'm going to try it again and I'm going to try it a different way. Or uh, I'm just going to, you know, maybe, maybe that just wasn't such a great idea and I'm not going to try that one. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I mean, the response is paramount. Yeah. It's like uh, my son the other day, we we're playing chess and he says, dad, I love playing chess. Either I win or I learn. It's that simple. Either you succeed yeah. or you learn. It's a win-win all across the board. So. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. There's no sore losers if you don't look at it as losing, right? It's uh, that's right. You either win or you learn. That's right. So yeah, good, good thoughts. Love right? it. Yep. Well, and to your third point, seeking knowledge. I mean, I think that's, that's a pretty straightforward one, right? You just got to, uh, you know, align yourself. Uh, there's a saying that you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. 
right? And so um, if you're trying to learn, you're trying to grow, then you have to surround yourself with people and, and resources that are going to help amplify what it is that you're trying to learn. And you become the average of those things. So that's yeah, right. no, that's a great point. Yeah, that's right. We say that about uh, our chain of command a lot of times. We say, you know, if you have a great uh, supervisor, take some things from that supervisor, put them in your own toolbox. And if you have a poor supervisor that maybe doesn't always fit your needs or whatever, take some things from that person's style there and put it in your toolbox. Even if it's things you never do, you, you say to yourself, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that to anyone. That's still growing you because you've taken an average of these two people. One may be great, one may not be so great, but you've combined them together and you've taken the best things from both of them. And that's, um, that's, that's a great uh, way to move forward. Yeah. Well, so uh, give me just a closing thought then on, on that topic, on, on talking about uh, copreneurship, if you will. So, you know, I guess, I guess I'll go back to my first statement. It takes courage. It takes courage. It takes a little commitment. Don't be afraid to fail. And, you know, at the end of the day, cops don't like change. Uh, I've been there. Uh, look at the old MDT when they first come in. Cops like, no, I'm going to write it down. We got a computer right here next to you. It took a while. Um, cops don't like change and, you know, courage, courage. You have the courage to go to calls all day long. You have the courage to manage your life if you want to be in business to go out and do it. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, just got a couple of minutes to wrap up here. Anything new um, on the horizon to expect from uh, Blockchain Intelligence Group and, and what's coming for the rest of the year? Yeah, so we're expanding our tools out to uncover more in the DeFi index space. So we'll be doing that. Uh, that'll be coming in. Um, I'm really wanting to get out there and talk to more law enforcement officers. Uh, so like we have a law enforcement event planned in Nassau County, New York, that's going to be like three days long that uh, we're going to, I'll be there talking about crypto for at least eight hours. Um, and we're we want to do that more often. So we want to start putting on some events. So if you, anyone in your audience would like to, you know, get a hold of us and talk about putting on a money laundering asset forfeiture cryptocurrency type event over a couple of days, uh, where we'll offer our cryptocurrency certified investigator, um, certification to whoever uh, wants to take it, take the test and pass it at the end of the, end of the three days. Uh, we're happy to do that. So please let us know. And also, we have a cryptocurrency investigator training program. It's under cryptocurrency investigator training program. Yeah, CCI. It's like, that's how it is. That's the URL, actually. Um, okay. Check it out. And, you know, if you're in law enforcement or whatever, check it out. Um, send me a message or whatever, and we'll, we'll try to get you through it. Um, it is a paid course, but we've had hundreds and hundreds of people take it. And um, they've gotten the ground floor investigative knowledge they need to jump into a case and feel like they know what's going on. So that's that's our, our point. And then you'll see my smiling face here talking as well. But, um, we can skip that part. <laughs> nice. Well, th those are some excellent uh, opportunities, offers there. And uh, if I'll tell you what, if I was still an administrator, I would absolutely be reaching out to you myself right now and saying, yeah, come on out and do that. Um, uh, I, I know it's just, it's such a huge thing. There There is uh, a lot of opportunity to solve some cases uh, if you just give yourself the knowledge on how to do it when it, as it relates to digital currency and, um, it's, it's becoming a much bigger thing. And, and unfortunately the bad guys out there know that we're not prepared in large part for these types of investigations. And, uh, therefore that they're taking advantage of it. Yeah. They're running at will right now and that's got to stop. Yeah. All right. Well, how yeah. do people connect with you, Robert? 
Well, they can uh, they can go to blockchaingroup.io, which is our website, and there's a submission page. You can just say, please forward to Rob. Um, or you can get a hold of me personally at uh, robert.whitaker at blockchaingroup.io. I know people say don't give your email out, but I, I love talking to law enforcement people. So shoot me an email. That's robert.whitaker at blockchaingroup.io. And uh, it'll come right to my mailbox. And uh, I'll be glad to get back with you. And we'll, we'll answer whatever questions you have. All right. Well, as always, we'll put all the links to everything that we discussed here in the show on the episode notes page. Um, so you can go to psi.chat to check that out. And uh, thanks again, Robert, for coming back on the show. It's awesome having you. And don't forget to read the book. Thanks, Adam. Yes. Yeah. He's show- for those of you listening and not watching <laughs> on uh, YouTube, uh, I sent I sent Robert a, a copy of Business Made Simple um as i've said to many of you um and if uh if there's anybody listening that i haven't sent that book to or the marketing made simple book i swear by those books they're um absolute uh roadmap to success for your marketing and your business uh you can reach out to me on linkedin shoot me a dm i'll absolutely happily send you um a book i've got two more cases just sitting on the floor of my office here and heck i'll buy i'll buy more cases if i have to man i want to put this in the the hands of as many copperneurs or would be copperneurs as possible so um and of course you can always go check out leo to ceo.com too where we're uh we've got a group of uh copperneurs there that we're, we're all helping each other out so um robert great awesome having you on again man yeah thanks for inviting me adam anytime let me know i love talking talking with you and talking to the audience I, I can talk crypto all day and i can talk about being cops all day so um anytime brother let me know all right awesome we'll reach out to robert Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes, and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions, and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.